Hey everybody, it's Adam, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. We hope that our time together will challenge you, encourage you, and inspire you to take the next step in your relationship with Christ. So this week we did start something new here at Melbourne Heights. This week we started encouraging everyone involved in our church, from our youngest kids to our oldest adults, to start reading through the Bible together. And as the service started this morning, we showed you slides that talked about just how much of the Bible we covered this week. We read almost nine chapters, made up of 455 verses, made up of 9,896 words as we are reading through the Bible together. Now that's not bad for one week of reading, and that may be more reading than you've done since you graduated high school or college, but the funny thing about all of the reading that happened this week, uh, that we read inside of the Gospel of Luke and uh, the introductory material, the thing that stood out to me the most, out of everything that I read this week, the thing that my mind has been going back to over and over again, is something that I read the first day as I was sitting down with Hannah and we were reading the introduction uh, to the New Testament inside of the Bible that we gave to our kids. So this is what stood out to me as I was reading that introduction. At the end of it, the author wrote, as you read these stories and these letters from the New Testament, you'll hear about how Jesus came to rescue us. You'll hear uh, how his very first followers lived and sometimes died for him. But don't just read these stories. You're invited to become a part of the story because it's not over. God is still at work and you have a part to play. When we read the stories of the Bible, we're invited to become a part of the story because the story of God is not over. God is still at work and God invites all of us to play a part in God's story. How cool is that? How cool is it that God invites us to play a part in his story? This is God we're talking about. This is the creator of the heavens and the earth and everything in them, including us, and he invites us to be a part of his story. This is almighty God, the only one who is perfect and blameless and righteous, and he invites us as people who are anything but perfect and blameless and righteous to be a part of his story. That's pretty cool. But it's also unbelievable. It's also almost unbelievable that God would invite us to be a part of God's story. And let me explain to you why. It's almost impossible for us to believe. So just this morning as I was sitting down and I was eating my breakfast of Captain Crunch and and I was watching a little bit of TV... I couldn't help but notice a couple of commercials that were playing in the background as I was enjoying my breakfast. And the first commercial that kind of started catching my attention as I was digging into my cereal uh, was a commercial for for a brand new car. And I don't remember what kind of car it was because it didn't catch my attention quite fast enough. But as I was watching this commercial, this, this, this commercial for this car, it went and raved about all of the features that this car has. And it has more bells and whistles than you could possibly imagine. There are warning systems inside of this car that that detect possible collisions before they happen, and they alert you and even break the car for you. 
And there's other sensors in there that warn you if you're drifting into other lanes of traffic to keep you safe. This car had a backup camera on it, and it could parallel park itself. This car even had, dim, had headlights that would dim themselves as other cars approach if you had on those high beams. And all of us have had those moments when we've wished other drivers had those dimmable headlights in their own cars. So when the voiceover guy came on at the end of the commercial and he said that this, this particular car is a tough safety pick by the IAHS, all I could think was, well, duh. It's got all the bells and whistles. It should be a top safety pick by the IIHS. But I didn't have a whole lot of time to keep thinking about everything that I just heard about this car because the next commercial kicked on. And the next commercial was for the Nordic Track X9i. And you've probably seen one of these commercials somewhere along the way. This particular commercial had Jillian Michaels from The Biggest Loser on it and had some former contestants with her. And as I was watching this commercial, it made you feel like you were a complete fool if you were still using a traditional treadmill because the Nordic Track X9i uh, helps you burn five times the the calories in the same amount of time just by using it. Not only does it help you burn more calories, it gives you the opportunity to watch wonderful scenic views from all around the world on the monitor on the top of this machine as you're finishing up and as you're continuing that workout. And then when that commercial went off, there was another commercial for Amazon's new Prime wardrobe service. This is a new, new thing from Amazon. Maybe you haven't heard about it yet, but, but basically how the commercial works is there's this guy who's finishing up an interview that he's having online, and he gets the job. And then the camera pans back, and you see that this guy is wearing his coat and tie and a pair of gym shorts. All right, because he was just being interviewed through a computer monitor. And it says, maybe it's time for a new wardrobe. So the rest of the commercial spends time showing this guy trying on different outfits and explaining how Amazon's new Prime wardrobe service works. Now, we've all seen commercials like this. You may have seen these exact commercials for yourself. So what do these commercials have to do with, with why it's almost unbelievable that God wants us to be a part of his story? Well, every one of these commercials, from that car company to the Nordic track to the Amazon's prime wardrobe service, they all basically have the exact same message for us. Every one of these commercials and so many others tell us that you're not good enough. You're not good enough. The car company, it has all of those bells and whistles with the monitors and the warning systems that will keep you from having collisions and swerving into other lanes and help you back up and even dim your lights because it's basically saying you're not a good enough driver on your own, so let us help you with it. And the commercial for the, or in the Nordic Track X9 trainer, what it's basically telling you is the, the way your body looks right now isn't good enough, so you need our help to burn five times more calories than you're getting when you're on your treadmill. Let us help you out. And Amazon's Prime Wardrobe service is the exact same way. It's basically saying to you, you're not doing a good enough job of dressing yourself. If it was up to you, you would show up on your first day of work wearing a coat and tie and a pair of gym shorts, but we will help you take it from there. And it's not just commercials that tell us that we're not good enough as people either. It seems like every place we turn in our life, there's somebody that's willing to tell us that message. You go to work and your boss basically tells you that you're not good enough when she drops an assignment that you just turned in right back down on your desk and says, you'll have to do better on this. And it happens when your teacher hands back a test with a, with a great big D written on the top of it and a note underneath of it that says, needs improvement. And it happens when you go into your doctor's office and your doctor explains to you that all of your pressures and levels are just too high and you need to work on it. 
It happens when your coaches talk to you when they tell you you didn't make the cut, or when your in-laws criticize the way that you keep the house, or the way that your spouse looks at you when you burn dinner or you forget to take out the garbage on trash night. But the worst part is, we do it to ourselves, too. When we look in the mirror, instead of seeing a person that God created and a person that God wants to play a part in his story, we see somebody who needs to drop 10 pounds on the Nordic Trek X9i, and we see somebody that needs to pluck out a few nose hairs while we're at it. When we look in our closet, we see a walking fashion disaster, and we think, hey, maybe that Amazon Prime wardrobe service might be worth the money. When we look in our checkbooks, we see somebody that has overdraws. When we look in the refrigerator, the only thing that can be described as leafy and green are those leftovers that we should have thrown out last month, but we just haven't gotten around to it yet. And since we hear this message over and over again, that we're not good enough from our bosses and our teachers and our coworkers, and we hear it from the commercials that we watch and we even play it out in our own minds, we start to believe it. We start to feel like we're not good enough. And since, since we feel like we're not good enough for our spouses and our kids, for our friends and our coworkers, for our bosses and our teachers, we also feel like we're not good enough for God. We feel like we're not good enough for God, too. So when we hear that God wants us to play a part in God's story, it's almost unbelievable because we don't feel like we're good enough for God. Now, that's not easy to hear this morning, and it's even harder for us to admit deep down, especially since most of us grew up singing songs like Amazing Grace that we sang part of this morning, where we hear that God saved a wretch like me. Or later on, we're going to sing a part of Just As I Am that teaches us that we are accepted in spite of sin's dark blot in our souls. And we grew up hearing stories about God reforming doubters and bigots and prostitutes and murderers and worse than that. And then God invites all of them to come back and play a part in his story too. To do God's work, to build God's kingdom. So we know we shouldn't feel like we're not good enough for God. But that doesn't change the fact that sometimes that's exactly how we feel. But the truth is God doesn't want you to feel that way. God doesn't want you to feel like you're not good enough for God, that you're not good enough to play a part in his story. And one of the stories that we read inside of our scripture uh, this week proves it to us. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, and as you're turning there, let me just remind you a little bit about Luke. Luke is a biography of Jesus for all intents and purposes. So inside of Luke's gospel, you can read about Jesus' birth, his ministry, his miracles, as well as reading about his crucifixion and his resurrection. But in the passage that we're going to be taking a look at this morning, we find Jesus being invited over to a dinner party. So Luke chapter 7, we're going to start reading together in verse 36. This is what Luke writes. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to the Pharisee's house, and he reclined at the table. Now, just that one verse of Scripture should be enough to perk up your ears. Just a little bit, especially if you know anything about the Pharisees and Jesus. Okay, Pharisees were the religious elite 
of their day. These were the religious leaders, the people that everybody looked up to and admired. And a Pharisee in the story invites Jesus to come over and share a meal with him. Now, if you know much about Pharisees, you know that the Pharisees don't tend to be the kind of people that wonder if God wants them to be a part of God's story, okay? Pharisees are keepers and teachers of God's law. So in their minds, they don't just think that God wants them to have a part in his story. The Pharisees are going to think that God wants them to have a starring role in his story, all right? And they never seem to get along with Jesus. So hearing that Jesus is invited over to dinner by a Pharisee, should be enough to perk up your ears, but it gets way more interesting as we keep reading. As we look down in verse 37, we're told by Luke, when a woman who had lived a sinful life, when a woman who was a sinner in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them away with her hair. She kissed them and she poured perfume on them. So Jesus is at dinner with this Pharisee, part of the religious elite. And then Luke tells us that a woman from the city, a woman that he describes as a sinner, shows up. Now there has been a whole lot of speculation uh, throughout history about who exactly this woman is and what makes her a sinner. Some people will tell us that she's a prostitute, but all that Luke says to us is that she is a sinner. She's a sinner. That's all Luke says about it, and that just so happens to be the exact same word that just a couple of chapters earlier, when Jesus is out on the boat with some of his first followers, Simon, Peter, and others, and they're casting out nets, and Jesus helps them haul in this massive amount of fish, they're the same words that Simon Peter uses to describe himself afterwards. When Simon Peter looks at Jesus and he says, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinner. So based on what Luke tells us in these two stories, this woman who comes to wash Jesus' feet is no better and no worse than one of Jesus' closest followers. She's a sinner who has simply come to the feet of God feeling completely unworthy. But that's not exactly how the Pharisee, who was hosting this dinner party, saw things. So as we pick back up in verse 39, we hear that when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man was a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. She's a sinner. When the Pharisee looks at this woman, he sees everything that is wrong with her. He sees everything that is wrong with this woman. He sees her reputation. He knows that she is a sinner. And then he looks over at Jesus and he thinks, if this guy were who he says he is, if he really truly were a man and a prophet of God, then he would know who this woman is too. He would know who is touching his feet and he would want absolutely nothing to do with her. He wouldn't let her be around him. He wouldn't want her to play a part in God's story. The Pharisee is about to learn, as we keep reading, that Jesus not only knows exactly who this woman is, Jesus also knows everything that's running through the Pharisee's mind. So as we pick back up in verse 40, we see Jesus respond. Luke writes, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. 
So he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you didn't give me any water to wash my feet. But she wet my feet with her own tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, Simon, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven of her, for she has loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this? Who is this who even forgives sin? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you, so go in peace. So with this woman washing his feet while she is still wetting his feet with her tears, anointing them with this perfume, washing it with her hair, Jesus looks at the Pharisee, a man by the name of Simon, and he asks him the question we just read. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii. A denarii is worth one day's wage. And the other 50 denarii. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts. And the question Jesus asked him is now, which of them loved him more? In this story, the two debtors, the one who owed 500 denarii and the one who owed 50, they represent us. They represent imperfect people. Both of these folks who owe money, they have come up short. They are unable to pay off their debt. They have both failed. They couldn't live up to the ideal that they had. So neither of these people should have been invited to be a part of God's story. But in this passage, in in this parable, they're both forgiven. They're both forgiven. They are both forgiven of their debts, of their shortcomings, of their failures. They're both forgiven for not being perfect people. So when Jesus is looking down at this woman who is washing his feet, Jesus doesn't see her debt. Jesus doesn't see her sins. Jesus doesn't see her shortcomings. Jesus doesn't see her failures. Jesus doesn't see that she's not perfect. What Jesus sees is someone who has been forgiven. In Psalm, in the book of Psalm, uh, chapter 103, verse 12, we're told this about what happens when we are forgiven. The psalmist writes, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far God has removed our sins from us. Now that's a great poetic verse, but we don't think about it a whole lot. So let's just think about it for just a minute. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far God has removed our sin from us. Now, I want you to imagine that after the service wraps up this morning that you decide that you want to start traveling north, okay? I don't know if you're going to walk, if you're going to run, if you're going to drive, take a plane. I don't know how you want to travel, but imagine that you are traveling north. Now, if you are traveling north, you are going to go so far and you're going to run into the North Pole, right? And when you hit the North Pole, what direction do you start traveling in? You start traveling south. And once you start traveling south, if you go 12,430 miles, you're going to hit the South Pole. And then what direction do you start traveling in? North. Okay, now imagine that after the service wraps up, you decide that you want to start traveling east. 
How far do you go when you start going east before you start traveling west again? You never, never start traveling west again. The only way you start traveling west is if you change directions. So when the psalmist tells us that as far as the east is from the west, that's how far God has removed our sins from us. He's telling us that it is forever removed from us. That's how far God has removed your sin, your failures, your shortcomings, your debts, your imperfections. They don't even show up anymore. So when you hear, when you hear in this place that God has invited you to be part of your story, I want you to think about how God really feels about you. Because all too often, for so many people, when you think about the way that God feels about you, you think that he's going to be angry with you because you've messed up. You think he's going to be upset with you because you haven't lived up to God's standards. You think that God doesn't want you to be part of his story because you're not perfect. But the truth is, God is always waiting for every single one of us with his arms wide open. Because God doesn't just like you. God loves you for exactly who you are. As the renowned theologian Paul Tillich once put it for us, though, our greatest problem with all of this, with, with, with learning how much God loves us and cares for us, our greatest challenge is to accept that we are accepted by God. Or to put that another way, our greatest challenge when it comes to hearing that God loves us so deeply is believing that God wants you to actually be a part of his story. So listen to me right now. No matter how many times you have failed in life, God wants you to be part of his story. No matter how imperfect you are and how many mistakes you have made, God wants you to be part of his story. No matter how many times you feel like you are just not good enough for God, God wants you to be part of his story. God wants you to be part of his story. God is inviting you to make a difference in this world. But you can't do that if you don't know and truly believe how God feels about you. God wants you to be part of his story. But for that to happen, you have to know you have to know beyond a shadow of a doubt how much God loves you, how much God accepts you, how much God really does want you to be part of that story. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this story that we've just read from Luke's Gospel of this Pharisee and this woman who is described as a sinner. God, we thank you for the way that Jesus shares just wisdom in this passage. Wisdom that we all need to hear and let sink in. That none of us are perfect. We all owe you a greater debt than we could ever repay. But that doesn't stop you from forgiving us, from loving us, for accepting us as who we are. So God, allow us to not think of ourselves the way that commercials and our coworkers and our bosses and our teachers and our coaches and our spouses and everyone else sometimes talk about us as not being good enough. But let us hear from you 
that we are more than enough and that you want us to be part of your story. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, everybody, it's Adam again. I hope that this sermon challenged you, encouraged you, and inspired you to take the next step in your relationship with Christ. If it did, then take a second and subscribe to our podcast. We drop a new sermon every Monday, and if you subscribe, you'll never miss it. And if you'd like to help someone else take the next step in their relationship with Christ, then take a minute and leave us a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Your review goes a long way to help us share this podcast with others.